0: Tamara Williamson podcast, the making of Still Here, streaming. This was meant to be a podcast on the industry and how I put the song Still Here into the marketplace. What were our aims and goals? And I can still talk about that in this intro, but what has happened is that we've been Spotified that I ended up talking a lot about Spotify because honestly, it's, it's where people are listening to music now and th- it's a problem. It's a problem for artists. So we're gonna talk about that. Um, so quickly, let me just say, We decided to release one single a month as a campaign, mainly because um, I feel over the years, over the 30 years I've been making music, that I've lost many people along the way, just because of the fact that we are constantly changing the way that we communicate with our audience. So um, there's so much stuff out there, so overloaded with talent that I've just lost people. They've forgotten about my name. So we're gonna do a single month and try and get back in contact with those real fans. And then at the same time, improve my numbers, my Facebook, my Instagram, my Spotify, my YouTube fan base. That is what the industry looks at to reflect what a successful artist I am Whether or not that's fake and really represents the amount of fans I have, it doesn't matter. That's what the industry looks at to show them if I'm worth bothering with. Um, So the single a month is good because I can keep promoting myself, whereas an album is one thing. I can only promote that one album so well and then it's gone, whereas a single a month I'm going to be around for months and months and months pushing my name back into people's faces hmm yeah you took me by the hand and walked me down my road told me all about the houses it's in my nature yeah So I've decided no more excuses. I'm a pretty capable person. I've been watching YouTube videos and all this different stuff about how to get your music out there these days. I thought I'd do a podcast so you guys can uh, hear about some of the things I've learned about. And I'm going to talk to some people in the industry about the way they feel. So um, first up is Jeff Rogers. He's a manager. He runs a record label called Handsome Boy. He's a great friend of mine. He manages Moscow Apartment and lots of other great bands. He's a promoter. He knows a lot. And he's someone I turn to all the time for advice. So here he is.
1: Like we music people like you and me and other people in music have had a, we have lots of problems around uh, how to earn money, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, we had outsourced the process of earning money for a long time. Right, to others, to people like me, and then also to record labels and stuff. But we always, you know, artists love to outsource making money because artists, they sort of the person that passes a hat in Subway and then there's the person that doesn't do that. If you don't pass the hat, for some reason you have like um, pejorative ideas about the person that does pass the hat, right? So Patreon is that, so are other crowdfunding type things. And then I found that a lot of musicians, when I first discovered about crowdfunding and started doing stuff, I talked to musicians that, that I'd tell them, you know, we're going to do a Kickstarter, Indiegogo or, or something, and they'd say, yeah, I'm not doing that. And then during pandemic, over the last three months, what we've seen is a massive crisis strikes the entire world. And all of the um, music community, who will be affected the hardest and the most by it? It probably not be able to work for another three years to who knows how long. Right? Like three years is an optimistic uh, time when we can maybe go on tour again, but probably like five or ten years before we could go on tour, a primary way of making money. And um, so we we lose that, and the first thing musicians do is give the, give everything away for free online and. Uh, and try to uh you know like say oh well here's a concert and then actually for the most part do it rather poorly because they're just trying to get to doing it right right away like whether it's being the first to market or or being or just like oh i should do this because that's how we are right we're all like it's like the tenacious group of people that are totally willing to to, to because it's, it's it's sort of different than regular business right it's like we we, we have art and we want everyone to hear it right or or see it or experience it or whatever and we don't always think it through and that's true of everything that we do it's true of like recording a record in some cases like it's like oh i have a computer i'm going to record a record and then i'm done and i'm releasing it um sometimes that's even good right but it's like and sometimes it's terrible but it's like you watch all these things so it's like how do you how do you make money i mean i think about it daily right how am i going to ever make money again <laughs> and, uh,
0: yeah so i did think about this during the last few months during the pandemic is that there have been a lot of live concerts on the web i actually did a short appearance uh, at a festival and it's hard um to make something that's beautiful and sounds good it's you know again it took took time but People are releasing a lot of stuff and when you put it out onto the internet, it goes onto the internet. You, it's gone. You don't have any control over it anymore. And I'm seeing a lot of flat cameras in flat rooms. Um, when I perform, I want to build an ambience, to build an experience, to capture people and performing to a camera was just not, It was scary for me. I wasn't, uh, yeah. So other people have had different experiences. It wasn't something I wanted to do. I'm also, I also was watching people releasing a lot of stuff. And that worries me too. Like, I want to release a little bit of stuff that's really thought-provoking. That's really, hopefully, moving to people, you know, so less- that's what I'm trying to do less of maybe a maybe that it's good enough that people w- want to give me something back all this free access on the internet it worries me as a songwriter as an artist
1: I always what I go back to every time like whenever I'm talking to some people are asking me questions about this and that kind of thing every day really I'm having philosophical conversations or whatever and take it all goes back to the beatles really like to me like for anything that's like in the realm of the kind of music you're making or that i'm interested in or whatever it's, it's like what did the beatles do when they didn't have like you, they, like we have a pandemic they didn't have the internet right. <laughs> it's like yet somehow when they walked off an airplane for the very first time in their lives in the united states every human knew who they were Right, or seemingly to us, every new human, but certainly every girl in New York City knew who they were. Hmm. Right, some you know, cousin who like you know, talked a lot and was very enthusiastic about how cute Paul McCartney was, uh, did that, <laughs> you know, probably alone. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so what I was like concluding earlier this week is like that because it's like you kind of go back to the main thing like what's the main thing? It's like everybody's strategizing like how like what playlist do I need to be on on Spotify like we had luck with Moscow apartment this last week Um, they got on two playlists that have a million plus followers and one of them wasn't even a song we submitted for playlists it was just like the song like we Kim and I were having a conversation about it and and next thing I know we're like I we should have really waited and did that one as like submitting for editorial playlists and then the next morning it got added to a playlist with a million plus followers like better than any of the playlists the ones we had submitted uh, for got so that was kind of cool, but the thing is, it's like, well, that's just a symptom of something, right? It's not, Spotify's not the game any more than getting played on one radio station is or or getting played on radio at all. That's not the game either. The game is, and has been, and since, the Beatles, since before The Beatles, you know, um, is uh, engaging someone's soul and heart, with music right like so that's the that's the main thing and then it's like all these other things are symptoms so it's like which symptoms or which affectations do you want to pursue like
0: so how do i how do i touch your soul as a listener as a potential audience person like how do i get to you in a world of streaming where i you may hear my song in a playlist um amongst tons of other songs it goes by in three four minutes how do I make it stand out like how do I capture you as a fan so that you come and find me and get to know all about all the other stuff I do that's just a new world streaming how do we make how do us artists forge an audience out of streaming hmm this is Mitchell Girio who has been helping me with releasing my single. He's been in the industry for ages. He's a producer and bass player, and yeah, this is what he had to say.
2: For streaming, it's really difficult to get pennies, right? It yeah. takes a lot of plays to get a, a, a couple of pennies. That's a lot of plays. Um, yeah. and, and, unless you're, you're, you're kind of in some crazy playlist or something, or you you got a hit. So everyone else is getting very little, but I, I do get notices for Susan Cadogan, the reggae artist who I work with, and she, right. she sometimes makes nine bucks. That's but great. she makes it through iTunes, and it's usually through the UK, where she's where she, she was a bona fide hit. Um, so someone in the UK mm-hmm. might buy uh, her album or um, a couple just, of singles uh, that we have on um, that we've uploaded in the last love. few years. And um, and then, then yeah and then that, that, that tabulation would come and, and we get oh look, one person bought the record, this EP and and here are a couple of one-off single purchases. and uh, and then the rest is streaming. And that's where you get into all the r- really weird decimals that don't mean anything. and you just a long line of streams to say, wow. you know, it's like we made .003 cents on that one. So they add up to almost nothing. Um, it, um, but 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 the, the purchases are ba- she barely even has any purchases. So I mean that's so that's a general thing. If people aren't buying your record off of iTunes or Cdbaby.com directly, uh, you're not gonna see anything. Um
0: and if you're streaming this well, I hope you sing along because we know you got this for. I went on Google and I searched how many plays does it take for me to make a dollar and it came up on the front page of Google which Spotify is owned by Google and it said 1500 plays. Then I looked inside of that article and it changes its story and it says that I need 229 plays to make a dollar. That's 0.00437 of a cents per play of my song on Spotify. So if you look at this list, um YouTube, I need 1,449 plays to get a dollar. Nabster is 53 and everyone else is kind of in there. Uh Nabster obviously was a much better deal for the artist. Uh, but Nabster was the one that really started all this craziness. But anyway, so there we go. That's the rate. For me to get 1,500 plays on Spotify right now, I would have to get on a playlist, which somebody else curates. They might have a playlist like, um, great songs to make dinner to and drink red wine. And then I might be lumped on that playlist together with, I don't know, Billie Eilish or someone very successful. And then I might receive thousands of plays and um, make some money. But would those people then become my fans? Or did that music just sweep past them as they're making dinner? I presume that would be more like what would happen. And I can make a playlist and you can make a playlist, um, which would help uh, artists. But it's not going to be these types of numbers. Like these types of the numbers, again, the data, the numbers, the algorithms. We need big numbers. Um, <laughs> this is my friend, Selena Martin, talking about streaming. She's an alternative, independent Canadian artist. She's toured around the world. She's got many albums uh, for sale. She's down in the south of France now with very loud birds flying around her, talking about touring and streaming. Um, we had a great conversation. Here's Selina. She's
3: become the new model for music listening. Uh, and I,
0: <laughs>
3: and and people don't. I mean, the general public doesn't seem to have any idea that artists don't get compensated. Um, I mean, you can't call fractions of a penny compensation. So I'm just going to say we don't get compensated. You know. The, uh, except for except for the superstars, like the um, the giant artists, like I, I'm, I don't know I don't even know who they are, like Drake and uh, like for the, the Canadian ones, you know, the Beavers and the Drakes and it, like they, the superstars, they end up getting a giant, like chunk of, of streaming revenue that might not even belong to them just because it gets sort of averaged out, like they just make generalizations with with the payout, you know, like it's very complicated formulas that like who gets what fraction of what penny for what thing, and it's all different if you have a label it's, like my brother, for example, told me that he pays, now that he's, uh, you know, just using Spotify, that he actually pays more for music than he did 10 years ago. And I was like, oh, okay, well, Who's getting it? Like, who's getting that? Spotify's got beautiful, gigantic corporate offices with games rooms and uh, staff who earn an annual wage um, who who wouldn't have anything were it not for people who create music. Like the source of the income is not compensated and I don't know any other industry in which that happens. I don't. I don't know how to battle Spotify and all the other streaming services. The the the, the David and Goliath thing is, is like I've got way too many other things to do to take on this battle by myself. It's too huge. The, the Goliath is too big and too rich, and um, I want to at least uh, help to inform people of the situation so that perhaps.
0: So it's yeah listening to selena talking about her brother it's just all about subscription so they're getting 12 dollars off everyone a month although you know you can listen to spotify for free which also adds another dilemma is like who's listening to music that i've produced for free like who gets where what but anyway spotify is getting numbers it's just getting millions of people giving them 12 dollars a month and that pooling of money is so substantial by the end of it. They don't care about personalization, they're just going for numbers and algorithms. It's really the fault of the computers at the end of the day, because it's not personal at all. It's, it's just data.
3: And with the realization that artists aren't able to tour right now, thinking, some people are thinking about maybe trying to build a better model. Um, I want to put a caveat in here and I'm not necessarily a caveat uh, just a, an aside um, the uh, I don't I'm not sure who started this idea that oh it's okay to stream music because artists make money from tours because it's really really hard to make money from tours if you're an independent artist like I don't make money from tours unless I play solo and I'm really, really, really frugal and I get people to put me up, like give me a bed to sleep in, maybe give me dinner, maybe, you know, maybe I can borrow a car for part of it. Like you gotta do all this stuff to try and scrape, save as much money as you can so that you do potentially break even or make a little money to compensate the six months of work it took to book the tour. It's really it's really really hard to make money touring uh even in non-pandemic times just just because and so, I don't know why everybody glommed on to that because they wanted, I think they wanted to think that artists were being compensated. They're like, Oh, it's okay. they make money touring It's okay. I can just take this music for free. You know, I, that's my theory. um, so but that was never true for me that I mean, if I love playing with a band, I have a fucking it's part of my language like kick ass live show with the band I love doing it so much and people get excited and they really dig it and it's really when you you know when the conditions are right and the sounds good it's just so it's such a lovely thing to be able to do and such a privilege but making money at it is almost impossible
0: so in the nature of being completely transparent let's have a look at some numbers here the podcast was released a week before the song was released, and that did fairly well, it got 48 listeners, but no income from that. Um, The song went out on Spotify, it got just under 100 streams, so basically (laughs) 0.49 of a cent was made. Um, I got two new Patreons for uh, $7 in total a month more. I got over a thousand plays on my Facebook with the video um, and that translated to no money and I sold seven copies of the song on Bandcamp and I sold three uh, three people bought my complete works so that was another like $90 So the song probably took 45 hours to make, Um, the people involved in it, the mastering and the mixing and the playing on it, I mean, Mitch, Steve and Tom Third did a lot of work and they didn't get paid but they got SOCAN, so they'll make, I don't know, nothing, 25 bucks. The life of this song is probably almost done. Yeah, the podcast took me about seven hours. The video probably took me about 30 hours. And yeah, so there you go. I made probably somewhere in the region of $20. And I worked really hard. I, sent, I spent a couple of full days sending stuff out to people out there in the world, trying to get something happening. So I just, I just want people to know the reality of what it's like these days releasing music. Oh, and Heather Cook, who I work with, she spent hours and hours putting together lists of people we should send this to, and um, (laughs) I didn't pay her either. Uh, I'm going to have to, because this is all, people need to get paid. We're all doing it on the off chance that the heavens may open, and you know what? The heavens may open. Maybe. Maybe. And I'm am not angry about that or bitter. I'm I know that opportunity comes from strange places. Like something could happen. I might get on a TV show or I might get some licensing. Who knows? An advertisement could pay me all that money back in spades, just out of the out of the woods like that. Who knows? I loved loved every part of putting this song out, and I loved everyone's help it was just so great to do it and it gave me hope during covid so i'm i have no regret but i just i really it's what selena said i want to inform people about the reality of the situation anyway the world is changing it's moving so fast (laughs) we have to move no i'm not gonna make that speech just for the fun of it, let's listen to Jeff Rogers with a story about the good old days.
1: In 2002 or three or whatever, I worked at B2 in New York, and we signed uh, the White Stripes. And so, I had gone to see them, or my assistant was telling me about them, and then. Things were building, but long before things were building, she was telling me I was checking them out. Her two bands that she wanted us to sign were Death Cab for Cutie and The White Stripes. So really we should have been giving her a senior level executive A&R job because she was better than uh, all but one A&R person that we had. (laughs) uh, uh, So I knew about them, right? I knew about them from Chrissy and then I had listened to them. And then they were coming to New York and they were gonna play a free show. And it was on a Saturday. And I got in our labels now talking about them a little bit more. And then I I got in the subway. I remember too telling, I tell, told Terry Flood at uh, Aquarius Records, I said, oh, there's this band it, with a real buzz. Like if I lived in Canada, I'd sign them I'm for Canada, They're called the White Stripes, but he didn't do it. But um, I get on the subway in Brooklyn on the L train and the pier where they're playing is at 14th and the West Side Highway or the river. And um, you, um, you, you, I just could take the L train all the way across Manhattan to get there. And so one stop off and I get on and a bunch of people get on and I can tell they're going too, right? Like maybe 20 or 30 people. And then we stop in the East Village, first stop in the East Village and 50 people get on, just in the car we're in. And then more at the next stop and more at the next stop and more at um, union square and then we're there and you can't I move on the subway and, and we get off and every other car is insane and we all get out we all kind of hurt, look similar and we all catch. empty out the whole of the ground we all walk to the pier and there's thousands of people there and it was amazing <laughs> and uh, and and then we still hadn't signed them. And then uh, about a month later, or so like, and then we're trying to sign them. And then a month later, everybody's trying to sign them. Of course, they don't have a real record deal. They're on sympathy for the record industry, which is you don't get any money, but you get some vinyl. And they go sell the, the the vinyl they make to get their money back. And um, and then you know, then I Jack Jack and Meg come to the office. I meet them, and uh, we end up giving them 1.2 million dollars. And money to sign other artists that they want and they sign brendan benson and they start third man records like through that process so so i mean
0: so that, thanks like, so you know, much today to my guests like, jeff rogers okay. mitchell Girio, no. and selena martin thank you so much for listening i'm tamara williamson what and stay safe everyone and